church today, guys. We are glad you guys are here. And welcome to a brand new series called I Once Was Broke, But Now I'm Not. We just had a tremendous time of worshiping the Lord. And I think God has something very, very special for you today. And so here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask us all to pray for a second. Because I believe God wants to speak something into your life and into your heart today. And I really think that God loves you and he cares about every part of your life, including the financial side of your life. And if the financial side of your life is not healthy, if it's not good, if you're not walking closely and connected with God, and if you're, uh, if you're struggling financially, then, then it's going to throw all areas of your life out of balance. And so as we kick off this series, we're going to pray for the Spirit of the Lord to do a tremendous work. Let's go ahead and pray together. Oh, Lord God, I invite you to do an awesome work today. God, everybody here decided to uh, show up into this room today and to, and to give up some time to be able to worship you, but also some time to be able to grow into maturity in Christ. And so, God, we are here because we're, we're here uh, with an eager expectation that we're going to learn something and we're going to grow and we're going to build more greater levels of faithfulness to you. So, Jesus, would you do your work powerfully in this series? As we kick off this brand new uh, initiative heading in a new direction, I once was broke, but now I'm not. God, would you bring to the surface throughout this series the financial struggles and problems that so many of us seem to have and help us to honestly deal with them and to get every part of our lives right and aligned with you. God, we know that you love us, so Lord, do a tremendous work. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So... By a show of hands, okay? Now, you got to be honest. Have you ever had a time in your life, and I don't necessarily mean right now, have you ever had a time in your life when you could honestly say, I was broke? Anybody ever been broke in this room? Okay, a lot of hands around the room, okay? If you have not put your hand in the air, perhaps you came from a family where you were given a great uh, level of resources, like right out of high school or right out of college. That does happen for some of us, or maybe you're just a liar, because most of us have been broke at some point in our lives. Okay, I remember being broke. Now, praise God, I am not broke today, all right? Hallelujah, Jesus, I'm not broke today. But I remember being broke. And it was my first year out of college, and uh, I, I had come out of Penn State University and went into ministry, and I landed on a college campus where I had to uh, invest in the lives of college students and, and, and try to bless those students and help those students to know Jesus. And college students do not pay you to be on a college campus with them, okay? There's no, like, payment to the campus ministry staff members, which means that we function like missionaries, and we had to raise money. And so my first ever salary out of college was $24,000. But that was totally dependent on whether or not I could raise the money for the $24,000, right? And so the reality is, when I first started in ministry... I was terrible at the fundraising side of things. I didn't know how to do it. It took me a few years to learn how to raise the resources for ministry. So my first year out of college, I probably realistically made somewhere between eighteen dollars to $20,000. I mean, I was baroque. B-R-O-K-E. I was broke, okay? And a year after that, uh, Jana and I ended up getting married, which was like, okay, now we have like two $18,000 salaries combined, you know? Because she was also struggling with raising the money. And, uh, and Jana and I, uh, you know, in our first year of marriage, we felt the financial pressure of life. And I remember, this is how you know, you know that you are under financial pressure when a lost pair of sunglasses causes World War III inside of your marriage. So I have a tendency 
to lose things. I've lost a few things in my life. Any other people out there like to lose things? Are you, you okay? You got a few of you out there who could lose things fairly frequently. So I had lost like two pairs of sunglasses and it's our first year of marriage. And uh, we went to like a, uh, you know, to visit some family and I accidentally left my, my pair of sunglasses, my last pair of sunglasses in my cousin's car. And so I came back and told my beautiful bride, my new, you know, wonderful wife who had pleasure of life to me that I had to buy another pair of sunglasses which meant I had to go to Walmart and spend $10, all right? I don't, I don't buy Oakley's, or right? I don't buy like the, the high-end whatever is out there. I buy the $10 Walmart glasses, and you would have thought that $10, I mean, it was ready to just break the back of our marriage because at that stage of life, $10 was enormously huge to us. It, it, it was huge. Now, that's when you know you're broke. Now, guys, here's the thing. You know, as we walk in the room today, some of us may be very nervous to admit that we're actually broke today right now. And our brokenness isn't because we're making an $18,000 salary. Our brokenness is because what happened over the years is as our income kept increasing and getting higher and higher and higher, so did our level of spending. So did what was flowing out. And the debt kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And so maybe you walk in the room today and you may be making way more money than what I made back then at that stage of my life, but $10 still feels like it could wreck your marriage because you're feeling so much financial pressure. We partnered with an organization called Enjoy Stewardship. Uh, those are the folks who helped us to uh, run the, the capital campaign to try to buy uh, the bowling alley and to launch future churches. And uh, they, they have a statistic, Enjoy has a statistic that they, that they quote, and, and I went and verified that this is true, the data behind this, that 7 out of 10 Americans, 70% of Americans are under significant financial pressure. Significant financial pressure. So here's the deal. Even in households where people are, where the, the, where the combined household income is, you know, $120,000, there is intense financial pressure going on. So what I know to be true is that we are normal people in this room. We're just like, in some ways, we're just like everybody else, which means that seven out of 10 of us who are going to walk into church today, seven out of 10 of us who are going to watch online today are, are under a pretty intense amount of financial pressure. And so I want you to consider the question, what is financial pressure costing you? What is it costing you? It actually costs us a lot more than you realize to be under financial pressure. For some of us, it is costing us memories with our kids. Because in the worst way, we want to take our kids to go do something, to have an experience, to get the pictures, to be able to tell the stories years from now. But we simply are not in the financial position to be able to do that vacation or do that trip. Because to do that trip would, would eat up another $1,000. It just, is, it just would, would feel like it would totally break us. And so, so, so financial pressure for some of us is costing us experiences and memories with our kids. For others of us, financial pressure is costing us our mental health. So some of us are, are um, you know, uh, going to bed every single night and anxiety is weighing us down. And there's a pit in our stomach and it's eating us alive inside because we're feeling the stress and the pressure of waking up the next day knowing that this mountain load of financial problem is going to weight us the next day. It never seems to go away. 
And so we are having our joy robbed out of our lives by it. For some of us, it's costing us our marriage. Because financial pressure is the top marital problem, right? The, the, the big three marital problems, money, sex, and kids, those are the big three that, we, that, that cause all the problems. But money is often number one for people because it's, a, it's the one that causes, it, it puts so much pressure and it causes every other part of life to feel like it's in a pressure cooker. And so your marriage is perhaps being cost from you right now because of financial issues. But here's what I think might be the worst of them all. Financial pressure may be costing you your trust in God. Because if you're under intense financial pressure, you are vulnerable to the work of the enemy who wants to whisper to you and lie to you and tell you that God doesn't love you and that God doesn't care about your problems and that God is, 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 is not with you arm in arm. And so the lies begin, you know, whispered to us by the enemy that we can start to believe and, and, and just fall trapped into it. And, and so it can actually cost us over time the depth of our relationship with God. Now, for all of those reasons, this is why from time to time we have to run a series in our church around money. And, and you know, the, 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 the thing that is often common to do is to try to avoid the money conversation in churches because it can be so tense and it can feel like it's a self-serving thing. Like we're just doing, talking about money just to get more out of everybody into the tithes and offerings. But the reality is that if money has the ability to cost us our mental health and to cost us our marriage and to cost us even our trust and dependence on God, then we have to deal with it together, don't we? It's part of our discipleship. It's part of our growth. It's part of what God wants to set us free from, and that is the goal of this series. We are here to help you in this series to be set free from the financial pressure that you are under. Because I think if you get free financially, it's going to free so many other areas of your, of, of your life up to be thriving and good. And so what we're going to do in this series, you know, if you're going to be financially free, there, there's, there's two basic things we've got to give you. We've got to give you, number one, we've got to give you spiritual principles that are in God's Word that deal with money and our relationship to money. And so in this series, we're going to give you a lot of spiritual principles on Sunday mornings. But you need more than spiritual principles. You also need practical training on literally like, how do I get out of debt? How do I stop overspending? How do I invest well? And we're going to give you those practical tools on top of the, of the spiritual principles on Sunday mornings. We're going to give you those financial tools in another setting beyond Sunday mornings. And I'm going to tell you about, about that by the end of this message. So you're going to get both the, the, the biblical, spiritual side, also the very highly, highly practical side of how to relieve the financial pressure in your life. So each week I'm going to give you a spiritual principle. And this week, I'm going to give you one of the most foundational ones of all. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you an idea that I want you to go home and talk about today. It's an idea that I want you to go and dwell on and think about and discuss with your spouse and talk over with a friend. And it's an idea that I want you to pray for personally. And maybe even an idea that you can go research biblically to say, is my pastor telling me the truth that this spiritual concept is in God's word? Here's a spiritual idea. It's this, 
that God is the owner and I am the manager. Now this concept is so vitally important for us to understand if we are going to get out of financial pressure. And, and I want you to absorb it today. So I'm going to have you just, just do something goofy. I'm going to have you actually repeat it with me. Can you do that? To make sure that you get it in your spirit today. All right? So I want you to say it back to me on three. One, two, three. God is the owner. I am the manager. This is true of any area of life. In, in, in any area of life, God is the owner of what you have, and he's the owner of what you possess. And your calling in Christ is to manage, another way to say it is to steward well whatever God puts into your hands. So this is true of your talents. This is true of your opportunities in life. This is true of your possessions. And this is true of your money. Everything that passes through your hands is something that's given to you by God. He's the owner of it. And what he asks of you is to manage it and to steward it well. Now, I'm going to read for you a lot of scripture this morning. And uh, so I've got all my scripture up here on a sheet rather than my Bible, just because I've got too much of it to flip around this morning. But I, I want to show you a, a number of examples in the scripture that show us that God views himself as the owner of everything that we touch and that he views us as the managers who steward what he gives us. This is so important to understand as you look at the, the money that God puts into your hands, you've got to understand this spiritual principle. So here, here's just a bunch of examples in Scripture of this. Okay, Psalm 24 in, in, in verse 1 says this. It says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Do you know that when God looks at his world, he says, I own everything. The earth is the Lord's and, this all-encompassing statement, everything in it. Everything. So sometimes I think that we can maybe have our theology correct around God being the owner of the world, right? Like God created the earth. He created the heavens. He created the universe. So we can look and say God owns the stars in the sky, and God owns the mountains, and God owns the seas, and God owns the grass of the fields and the trees that spring up from them. And maybe we can get that part right, but the part that we often miss is the and everything in it part. Because that means God owns your couch, and God owns your car, and God owns your cell phone, and God owns your time, and God owns your talents, and God owns your abilities, and God owns your spiritual gifts, and God owns your relationships, and God owns, yes, your money. Because the earth is the Lord and everything's in it, and everything in it. God looks at himself as the owner of absolutely everything. He, he says this in multiple places in the scripture. Psalm chapter 50, uh, verses 9 through 12. God speaks this through the psalmist to the nation of Israel. He said, remember that Israel was an agrarian society, so there's all these agricultural references in the Bible. That's why you read so many of them. He said, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle, he says, on a thousand hills. He said, I know every bird in the mountains, and get this, and the insects in the fields are mine. Does that mean we're able to swat some flies once in a while? I still think God's okay with that. 
All right? He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So, so God is telling us, I know the name of every bird. I know the name of every creepy crawly insect, every worm in the ground. Every, I, know, I, I know all of it. It is all mine, God said. And so what he was saying to the Israelites, he's saying, you, you, you're a steward of what I have, but you have nothing to give me. I don't need a bowl from your pen, which is a hilarious ancient reference, because how many of us have a bowl and a pen at home? Not many of us have that today. But he says, I don't need that bowl from your pen. I already own the bowl. I already own it. And I know it by name. God owns absolutely everything in his created order. Absolutely everything. And what that means is that if, if God owns everything, if he owns all the resources of the world, he even owns the money that gets put into our hands. There's a great passage, I'll read it for you in just a second, out of the book of Haggai. And in Haggai, the, the story of Haggai is that Haggai is a prophet and he's being inspired by God to speak to Israel. Israel is coming back out of captivity and they're going to rebuild the, both the, the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And so Haggai was, was speaking to inspire them to keep going. He was trying to say, like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And so God kept giving him messages. And in one of God's messages where he says, keep rebuilding the temple, God talks about the silver and the gold that they would eventually bring into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And this is just one verse out of Haggai. God says this through his prophet. He said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. So every gift he's saying to the Israelites that you're going to bring into the temple, it is already mine. Wow. Now that should shift your thinking and your understanding of your relationship to God and God's relationship to everything you own. Because if this is true, it means the house that you reside on is not actually yours. Oh, your name may be on the deed. The bank doesn't look at the deed and says, God owns this. They say, we do, and you're trying to buy it back from us. But God knows that it's his. And this is true of every dollar that passes through your hands. God owns it. And so if God owns it, what he's expecting us to do is he's expecting us to be wise and good managers. He's looking us at us to, to be stewards and managers of everything he has given us in life. And, and this is true way beyond money. This is true, way beyond money. We're, we're called to be stewards of our bodies and good stewards of our time and good stewards of the opportunities that he puts in front of us and stewards of our relationships and stewards of our leadership opportunities. We're called to steward everything well. So, so listen to some examples of this in the Bible. The New Testament, Peter writes this uh, to the New Testament believers. He said, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards, he said, of God's grace in its various forms. So Peter, when he's writing to the first century church, says, You've been, you, you believers have been given uh, gifts by God, like supernatural gifts by God. His, ex his expectation with those gifts is that you would use those gifts to serve other people. In other words, you're the manager of the gift. So use the gift well to serve other people and thus be a good steward that God would be proud of. That's what Peter says. 
many other examples of this in, in the Bible. Here's another one in the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul. Colossians 4 and verse 5, he said, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Check this out. Make the most of every opportunity. So every opportunity that you're given in life. Opportunities for career advancement, for example. Opportunities for, you know, God throws up in a door for, for something he wants you to do. His expectation of you, God, God does not view you as a robot where he just, you know, he makes you go. Where, what he does is he throws up in doors and says, now, will you be a good steward of the opportunity I have put in front of you? Will you honor me with what I put in front of you? You see, God is looking at us as his managers. And, and, and the management that we are called to bring, the stewardship that we are called to bring includes what, what is encompassed in that is our stewardship of the resources that God puts into our hands. He's expecting us to manage well the money that we have. Here's one example. I could find a bunch of them, but Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the, the wisest man on all the earth, said this, invest in seven ventures. Yes, invest in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Did you know that in ancient history, we're talking thousands, and we're talking like 3,000 years ago, Solomon was writing this stuff. And he was saying, diversify your portfolio. That's what he was saying 3,000 years ago. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. What if there's a hole in the basket? Diversify, spread it out, right? Solomon is saying, be a wise and good steward. Be a good manager of what God puts into your hands. Guys, we've got to wrap our heads around this, that God is the owner and, and I, we are the managers. Because this changes our approach to, to, to how we handle everything that passes through our hands. Now here's what you gotta understand. I wanna keep running down this trail. If God views himself as the owner of everything you have, and he views you as the manager of his resources, then what God is doing is, is, is God is looking for managers that he can trust. He's looking for people that he can put more into their hands so that they will steward well the resources and the opportunities and the gifts and everything that God gives them. He's looking for good managers. Because good managers, the general principle is they're given more to be able to steward and lead and manage because they've done it well in the past. Right? So, so just take it out of the realm of money for a second. And ask yourself a question. If the last time God threw open a door for opportunity for me, if I stood and cowered in fear and refused to take any step into the opportunity he gave me, then why would God be motivated to throw open the next door of opportunity for me? If I have demonstrated to God that I don't trust his provision to walk through the door of opportunity, why should another one open up? Okay, so if that's true of opportunities then is it not also true of financial resources? The, God is looking for people who are going to be excellent managers of what he gives them and, and excellent stewards of what he gives them and who are going to deploy it well for his kingdom so that he can say, okay, I can give you some more because I know that you will take what I've put into your hands and you will be faithful to me with it. God, I'm telling you, this, this is a general principle of how God works in the world. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand about general principles is, is you can always find an exception to the rule. 
So somebody's going to go home today, and you're going to have a conversation. You go, well, the pastor told me that God will give more to faithful managers, but my friend Susie mismanages everything, and she won $20,000 in the lottery last year. Somebody's going to have that conversation today. I'm not saying there's never an exception to the general rule. I'm telling you the general principle that God operates under as he interacts with us in our relationship with his resources. He is looking for managers that he can trust so that he knows who to give to because God is the owner of everything. So God's looking for us uh, to administer well, but part of what he's looking for when when he's looking to say, can I trust you, part of what he's looking at is our generosity. I I mean, Jesus told us to sell our possessions and give to the poor. He told us that. God told us to test him by tithing by taking a tenth of what we have in tithing. So there's this calling all through Scripture to trust God, to, 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 to give of our first fruits to Him, but also a calling to care for the needs of those who have great needs and to use our resources to bless others. And I'm telling you that God is looking at that to try to determine who can I give more to? Who can I trust? God's looking at your generosity. Look what it said in Proverbs 22 and verse 9. The the writer of Proverbs said, The generous will themselves be blessed. Why? For they share their food with the poor. So God says there are poor people. In In the ancient Israelite world, there's poor people, and they didn't have the kind of government services that we have today. And so he said, okay, it's the responsibility of my people to care for the poor, to make sure that the poor have food. So I'm going to load food up into the hands of the people who have shown me that they'll distribute it to others. He's looking for a generous spirit. Do you know that? he's, He's looking to say, can I trust you? They want to give you resources that you'll prioritize my kingdom. Is your only priority your next car or the next upgrade to your, your, to your kitchen or to the next device that you want to buy? Or is your priority to the missionaries that I want to send onto the field and, and to the people that I want to reach? Is your priority to, to, church, to church planting? Is your priority to caring for the needs of people within your local congregation? God's looking at that to determine, can I trust you with more? Can I give you more of my resources? This is what God is seeking. But God is seeking more than our, just our generosity. He's also seeking our humility. He wants to know, can I, can I trust you that when I give you something, when I give you whether or not it's a, it's a gift in your life, just, just a, a natural talent that you have, or when I give you an open opportunity, or when I give you that new job, Or when I give you whatever it might be, can I trust you to stay humble and to continue worshiping me if I give it to you? There's an awesome passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Israelites were being spoken to by Moses. So they've come out of Egypt, and they're getting ready to go to the promised land. Moses has been leading them in in the wilderness and the desert for several decades. And he's telling them, hey, we're about to go into the promised land. And he's giving them instructions for how to live when they get there. And so, and so what he says to them, hey, it's, hey when, you got, when you Israelites get into the promised land, you're going to have blessings on level you've never experienced before, and you're going to be tempted to take all the credit for yourself. And so here's what Moses said to them, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, you may say to yourself when you're in the promised land that my power and the strength of my hands 
have produced wealth for me. But no, 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 no. That part's missing from the Bible. No, 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 no. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce the wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He's saying, don't go into the promised land, and all of a sudden you're inheriting fields you didn't plant, and you're moving into homes that you didn't build, and go, wow, we're such amazing people. Look how unbelievable we are. No. Say, look how unbelievable God is. Because he gave this to us. He gave us what he owns. So you see, God is looking, when, he, when he's looking for faithful managers, he's saying, who will administer well what I give them? Who will be generous? Who will stay humble and continue to worship me? And his eyes are roaming throughout the earth, we're told in Scripture, looking for men and women who will worship and love him. And part of loving him is being a faithful steward of everything he gives us and puts into our hands. So, Pathway, we all have to wrestle with the question, have I been that faithful steward? Have I been? Now, th now that question has a potential. I don't want it to bring shame on you. Because if you've walked in the room today and you are in crazy levels of debt, or you've just totally overspent because you could not handle driving by a place that sells four-wheelers and not buy one, right? Like, you could not handle driving by a car lot and not upgrading. Like, if, if, if you've been there, my goal is not to heap shame upon you. My goal is to challenge you. And what we want to do is we want to give you tools after this series is over, we want to give you tools to help you very, very practically to fix some of the management problems that maybe you've had with resources. Because maybe you're a part of that 70% of people who are under significant financial pressure. So here, here's what I want everybody to do. If you all could get your cell phones out of your pockets right now. Could you all get your cell phones out? All right, we're going to use our phones in church for just a second. And I'm going to put a slide up here to tell you about something that's coming after this series is over, okay? Um, this slide talks about the financial learning experience. Here's what I would love you to do. I'd love you either to scan that QR code or to go to that URL right there, money.pw.church. We're going to leave this up on the screen for a second. And let me explain to you what we're going to do. So we're going to have a four-part series. Today was part one. And that four-part series is going to unpack the spiritual principles behind our relationship to money. But then we're going to give you super, super practical teaching. So the fourth part of this series, week number four of this series is October 1st. And that day we have a guy named Chad Auckland who's coming here to preach. You don't want to miss Chad's message. He, is, he works for Enjoy Stewardship, the, the organization that we have partnered with on this. And Chad is going to preach that morning's message on October 1st. And then that night, he's going to run a financial learning experience. It is a two-hour, very intensive, like, go, 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 go experience to help you to understand how to be better stewards and better managers of what God has put into your hands. Now, Chad has recommended that we do some things. We're kind of following all of his recommendations on this. And so another thing that, we are, that we're offering here, after this series is over, if you go through the financial learning experience, you can get connected to a financial coach. So there are people in our church who have had a breakthrough with money and who have managed it very well and who have learned the principles. And we're going to train those coaches how to, how, to, how to teach others the principles of this. And so you can actually, at that URL that you go to, you can actually sign up and say, I would like a personalized coach 
somebody who will be in my world to actually help me, maybe for the next year of my life, just learn how to fix some of the problems that I'm up against. You can also sign up at that link for a small group. So after this is all done, after this four-week series is over, we're going to have some groups that are going to be six weeks long, and they're all going to be, it's like video curriculum that was built by Enjoy Stewardship, and you can get in a group with other people in our church, and you can grow together with other people in the journey of becoming a better steward of God's resources. So you can, you can get a coach, you can go through the financial learning experience, you can get in a group. There are tons of opportunities to grow in this. But there's one other thing I want to invite you to. Maybe you go to that link and you're like, look, my financial house is in order. I'm a part of the 30% of people who aren't under crazy levels of pressure. And we've learned how to tithe and we've learned how to be generous and we've learned how to manage and to save and to not get into debt. And if that's you, I would love for you to also go to that link because you can tell us that and you might be a person that we could say, hey, could you be a coach for someone else? Could we train you how to do some coaching so that you can do that and you can teach somebody else how to do this? So tell us if you feel like you're positioned to be a financial coach for others. So guys, our goal is, to, is, is we want to, this is going to be probably a, like a two and a half to three month total block of time that we focus on this, even though the series is only four weekends. It's a two and a half to three month block of time. Our goal is to alleviate the pressure that is costing you your mental health, costing you your marriage, costing you your relationship with your kids, and maybe even costing you your trust in God. So come on, this is going to be a journey we're all going to go on together. You all understand? You with me? All right. Invite a friend to church these next few weekends, because this might just help them as well. All right, I'm going to pray for you. Let's all, let's all go ahead into some prayer together. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be wise financial stewards. So God, right now I pray over a, a spirit of shame. If a spirit of shame has settled on anybody after this message, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the shame would be lifted up off of that individual. God, this is not a house of shame. We don't use shame here. Jesus, some of us have gotten into a bad spot financially, and we have to own what we did to get ourselves there. But God, we know that you love us, and you are gracious, and you are patient in our process and in our journey. And so this is a moment where you are patiently walking with us to learn some things so that we can grow as individuals and we can grow as followers of Jesus. So God, remove the shame. Take it right off of our lives today and help us to walk forward so that we could be trusted by you as your manager. And everybody stay with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We always end our messages around here with an invitation to meet Jesus for the first time. So perhaps you walked into the room today and maybe you did not walk into this place with a personal transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. That can all change right now. That can absolutely change right now. I'm gonna pray a prayer and if you feel ready to turn your heart to Jesus for the first time, I want you to pray with me. You, it's a prayer of repentance of sin and a prayer of invitation of God's spirit into your life and I'm telling you if, you, if you genuinely, authentically pray and you invite God to do his, his changing work, God absolutely will come in through the power of Jesus and he will change you. And so if you are ready to turn to Christ, pray this with me right now. Just, just, just right now, just pray with me if you, if you want to. Lord Jesus, will you please come into my life? Jesus, I'm inviting you in. 
I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross to take away my sins. And I confess that I have been sinful and rebellious against God, and I need that forgiveness. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead, and today I want to begin following you. Now keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you are praying this morning to invite Christ into your life, to invite him in, would you have the courage, nobody's going to look around, but would you have the courage to put your hand up in the air and to tell me, is there anybody inviting Jesus in today? Anybody at all? Okay, okay. Amen, amen.